So we're going to go into week three of our series. We're calling Highways, and uh, we've been doing this for a few weeks, so we'll continue for a while. Next week, we'll take a little break with uh, Teen Challenge being here. But basically, the idea behind this series is to go deeper than religious rules and catch God's vision. So highways, catching God's vision. That's the idea. That's what we're trying to do, because sometimes we can miss the point of what God wants us to do and just sort of get stuck following rules. And so we want to get past that. So let's look at Isaiah 55 verses six through nine, which is our uh, kind of our core scripture for this particular series. And it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here... God is speaking through Isaiah and saying that if the wicked forsakes their way and the evil man forsakes his thoughts, that God will freely pardon. Have you ever met a wicked person? Have you ever thought, man, it would be awesome if God just freely pardoned them? That's the first thing I'm thinking is, man, that would be awesome. God's ways are different from our ways. We think, I hope they get theirs, right? And I hope I get to give it to them. You know, that's, that's kind of how people can be. But here, uh, God is saying that he has ways of doing things that we uh, don't always catch on to. And God's ways are higher than our ways in two different important ways. First of all, sometimes we don't understand. Shouldn't the wicked get theirs? And secondly, God's ways are better than our ways. Amen? So we may not understand God's ways, but we know God's ways are better than our ways. And that's why we need to walk in faith. When we walk in faith, it means that even when we don't understand God's ways, we trust God and we do things according with God's ways because we know his ways are better than our ways, even if we don't understand it. Now, the problem that can happen is that people, instead of walking in the light of Christ, they just start following rules and they're not sure why, but they know God's ways are good. But then they stop evaluating it and stop learning and stop uh, connecting with God and they just follow rules. And then they're walking in the dark and it's blind faith. And we don't want to be just following rules and we have no clue what they're about. Yes, walk by faith but also learn to understand God's ways, catch God's vision. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 15, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. So a servant is someone you just tell them what to do, but you don't tell them why. They don't need to know why they're on a need to know basis. But Jesus called his disciples friends because 
He shared everything with them. He shared the why with them. He helped them to see the depth of everything so that they could catch on to what Jesus was trying to do. And that's where we want to get to that friend of God place where we, we get God's ways. We catch on to what he's trying to do rather than just resist various rules and sometimes follow them. We want to get an idea of what God is trying to do. And so the first two weeks we talked about uh, in the first week, Sabbath observance, observing the Sabbath. And uh, basically the, the thing behind that is God wants a people who are rested in tune with him and strong together. It's not, you know, you're bad if you don't go to church on Sunday. It's God is looking for a people who are rested in tune with him and who are strong together. That's the idea behind the Sabbath. So don't get legalistic about that. You can work shift work and still follow the Lord. It's not an issue. But, hey, we need periods of rest, right? We need to be connected with God. We need regular times where we're reminded to reconnect with God or we'll fade off. And we need to be strong together. We need to be a community of faith that can help young people grow up with mentors and a strong uh, support network around them. We're able to do the New Vision Children's Home Sponsorship Program, which we're like three-fourths of the way to done in three weeks, which is fabulous. Yeah. We are strong together. So that's the whole concept of the Sabbath. Last week, we talked about prayer. And, you know, you can see prayer as, well, I know I'm supposed to, but I don't really, all that sort of thing. But here's the deal. Prayer is rich and deep. Prayer is powerful. There are many different types of prayer. Worship is a type of prayer. There's prayers of blessings like we did with the, uh, the baby dedications earlier today. There's, there's all kinds of different types of prayers. It's not just begging God for stuff, uh, but there's listening prayers, asking for wisdom. There's, you know, all the way into like prophetic prayers and, and uh, connecting with God in, in, as Paul said in, uh, First uh, Corinthians 13 in the, the tongues of men and of angels and just connecting in such powerful ways. There's a depth and a richness to prayer that we need to grab hold of or we're missing something significant. And prayer is our primary way of connecting with God. If we don't develop a strong prayer life, our walk with God is going to be distant compared to what it is when we connect in prayer. And then, of course, prayer actually does change things. Did you know prayer actually does change things? You may have to fight for a while. You may have to keep going. You may have to learn to reorient your thought processes because you're praying for the wrong thing. You know, if the first, if your initiation with prayer is asking God for stuff, Mm, you need to have worshipful prayers. You need to have submitting prayers, you know, honoring God prayers. Then God will start to show you better how to pray, you know, because if, you, if you're asking amiss, you're not going to receive anyway. So, uh, but we need to be able to pray so that this world changes. And so prayer does change things. And if we want to be agents of change that are connected with God and who have a rich, deep Uh, experience with God and the power of God. We must be people of prayer. This week, we're going to talk about sharing your faith, um, basically evangelism. 
So let's pray. We'll get into new material. Is it cold in here? I should never ask that question. Is it 70? Are we set at 70? It's 70. All right. I should never ask that question because everybody has a different answer. I feel a little cool. So we're cool. Yeah. But we're just going to have to deal with that. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. We'll get into new material here this morning. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, that you would help us to grab hold of some things and see things deeper than what we've seen them before, have a broader perspective and to grab hold of your vision and your purpose, Lord, not just uh, know that we're supposed to do certain things, but, but get it in a deeper way. So Lord, uh, each one of us is going through different things and Lord, I know that we need different things from you. And Father, I can't do a bunch of different things at the same time, but you can do different things in our hearts all at the same time. So I ask you to do that. Touch us each, uh, each one with your Holy Spirit in the way that we need to be reached by you so that we can take a step forward this morning in believing in you better and serving you better and being more effective for your kingdom. So Lord, bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about the obligation of sharing your faith. I thought this would be good. It's fishing opener weekend, you know, fishers of men. It's Mother's Day. You know, there's that the new life, you know, in Christ being born again. All that. I thought, well, this is a real good opportunity. So I'll tie it into that. So uh, it's maybe a little shaky, but it's an important concept. How many people know it's significant for the believer to share their faith in Christ with other people? That's an important piece of the puzzle. Now, we know it's important, but isn't it awkward? Sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes awkward and also ineffective. Have you had awkward, ineffective sharing your faith moments? Or like not even done anything because you can tell this is just going to be awkward and ineffective. So, ah, ah. so when I was a newer Christian, the sharing your faith thing was hammered in hard. I don't think it's hammered in as hard in today's world, but you felt bad. I mean, if you went a day without sharing your faith with somebody, you felt like you were doing something wrong, you know, and, uh, and it got to be something that I think was a little bit, uh, you know, it was pressure and that's kind of got that legalistic feel to it. And, and it could get to be uh, uh, just a mess. And so how do we see the obligation of sharing our faith and advancing the kingdom, the greater message of evangelism? How do we see that? How do we experience that? What's the most effective strategy for doing that? And I think it's a lot more important to live for Christ than it is to talk about the Lord, especially if you're not living for Christ. One of the things I like to say is people in cloquet don't need to hear about Jesus. They need to be shown. We must live it out. It's one thing to talk about Jesus, but if we are not doing the things that Jesus calls us to, we're not living the life, what do we have to share? 
You know, Jesus makes lots of demands on people and there's purposes behind it. And when we can grab hold of the abundant life in Christ, if we can grab hold of the freedom and the power of walking with Jesus and people see that, they're going to want to come in just automatically. But if instead we're full of condemnation and shame and we're not doing very well anyway and we hate everybody that we meet and then we tell them they should love Jesus, it's just not going to work. Like, that's just a disaster. And so what we need primarily is to activate our own faith and walk in the ways of God. And then that will show God for who he is. And then that personal evangelism thing will just have a natural flow out. Let's look at an interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter chapter 3 to kind of start our discussion about this, because I want to do this from a bird's eye view and kind of see what's God's plan. Years ago, when we moved to Cloquet, I was praying, you know, uh, my daily prayer was, God, what do you want me to do? And it started to grow stale. You ever prayed a certain way and then it grows stale? And I just, it just wasn't helpful. And I thought, well, I must be not quite doing this right. And so then I started to pray differently, and I I prayed, Lord, what do you want to do? And what's my role in that? Lord, what do you want to do in Cloquet? What do you want to do between the different churches in Cloquet? And what's my role? What do you want to do at Good Hope Church? And what's my role in that? What do you want to do, Lord, in my family? And what's, what's my role in that? And it begin to give me much more clarity as I sought what God wanted to do. And then just to see how do I fit in on that? And so let's get a picture of what does God want to do with that person you may need to talk to? What does God want to do with them? And then what's your role? Let's go to John chapter three, starting in verse one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. So Pharisees were highly disciplined, very legalistic followers of God in the Jewish tradition. They were top-notch people. And Nicodemus was a top-level Pharisee because he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He is rocking religion. He's getting the job done. Okay, So Nicodemus is a top-level guy. Verse 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night... And said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus approaches Jesus and gives him a very nice greeting. We know you're from God. You are doing wonderful things that are happening through God. And he's expressing his appreciation of what Jesus is doing. And he's coming to Jesus. Now, if somebody came to you and said a nice compliment like that, what might your response be? Thank you. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Something along those lines. What does Jesus say? Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It seems like an interesting thing to say in response. Because it even says, in reply, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
And so what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, you've got religion down. You are just doing it very well. Jesus knows who Nicodemus is. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a top level guy. And Jesus is saying, you have all these things, but you are missing something. You're missing something on a level as significant as being born. (laughs) Like there's a big thing that you're missing. That you can't see the kingdom of God unless You're born again, unless something that you don't have happens in your heart. Let's keep reading. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I don't know if Nicodemus was being kind of sarcastic with that or or he's just like, dude, I don't get this at all. I'm not sure. But here we are, verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, you've been doing people things. You've been doing religious things. You need to do spiritual things. You need to connect with God in the spirit And have something fresh, uh, your spiritual life, be born in you. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So this is a... God's ways are higher than our ways. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, okay, you're not catching this and you may not catch this for a while, but the reality is there's a way to walk in the spirit that you just can't see right now. And it's as confusing as the wind blowing through the trees, but it's real. And I believe Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you can have this. Verse nine, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. So that's Jesus referring to himself. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. So, of course, Nicodemus as a Pharisee is very, very well versed in the Old Testament. And he knows the story of the the snake bites and how Moses lifted up uh, a snake. And then the people were healed. And Jesus is talking about how he will be lifted up and bring healing to the world that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Let's read 14 again. I want to read those two together. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is a powerful, powerful promise. It's much greater than being healed from a snake bite. He's saying that 
whoever, everyone who believes may have eternal life. And then John three sixteen, powerful, powerful verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation, to make sure everybody knew what they were doing wrong. He came to bring salvation, to set people free, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I like the word whoever in verse 16, the King James whosoever. It means that it doesn't matter who you are. If you believe you're in. I like that. Doesn't matter what your genealogy is. Doesn't matter what your history it is. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter because he has made a way that you can have forgiveness. You can have freedom. You can have uh, everlasting life. He's made a way and he's telling Nicodemus, it's not about condemnation. It's not about seeing who's better at following what rules and making sure that people know that they're doing things wrong. It's about the offer of salvation to the world that Christ has paid for. Now we need to keep reading because there's more to it than John 3.16. I like the... Remember the rainbow hair guy that held up the John 316 sign at the football games? There was, I didn't see anybody with the John 318 sign, you know, 18B, that, they didn't hold that sign up. If it, if it did happen, it would have been a grumpier looking person because it continues. You know, there's always two sides to every coin. When there's an offer of something wonderful from God, That doesn't mean that it always works that way. So let's keep reading. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So here Jesus is saying that this wonderful, incredible offer is made to all of mankind. Anyone who would believe can come in. But not everyone will. There are two destinies for individual people. There are those who receive everlasting life through faith in Christ. And there are those who receive condemnation. Let's finish out the dialogue with Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So here Jesus explains the glorious plan of salvation to Nicodemus. He explains that everyone is welcome in. And he says that there are those who will refuse. And there were many of those among the Pharisees, contemporaries and friends of Nicodemus who would refuse. 
It isn't popular in today's world, but the reality is not everybody wins. It's not popular in today's world, but the reality is not everyone receives salvation from God. Not everyone receives of the gift of God. Not everyone benefits from the cross. There are those who lose. Jesus described it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. We want to grab hold of the truth of God. And we want to love people enough to want them to grab hold of the truth of God. When I was a new believer, I didn't come from Christian circles. And so understanding the two destinies was a very painful thing for me to look at because people I know and I love have rejected Christ. As I'm sure that's true for everyone. People we know and we love Wonderful people, tremendous people, fantastic people that were created for everlasting life have pushed God aside. And it, for me, was a crushing experience to recognize this. And when I got to Romans chapter 9 and read Paul's account of how he felt, I connected with it in a powerful way. Romans 9, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What could be consuming Paul to this extent? To where he would say he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Now, are we to be people who walk in the peace of God that passes all understanding. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're living abundant life, and we're just all happy and excited about stuff. But there are things that we see in this world that hurt us too. And so we can acknowledge that and be very real, just as in the scriptures, Paul acknowledges to the people in Rome that he is hurting. Why? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. So Paul sees his friends, his contemporaries, the ones he went to Bible school with who rejected Christ. And he is broken. He is hurting because he knows the gift that is waiting for them and he sees that they are rejecting it and he is broken. He loves them and he wants to reach out to them. And this is the heart of God for broken people. This is the heart of God for people who are away from Christ, away from God is to bring them in. And Paul's heart was broken for them. And this is what 
we see in our world is people separate from God. Now, I think we should do everything in our power to bring people in to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't think I'm alone in that, but I do think that there are too many consumer Christians that are more interested in hearing songs they like and getting their needs met and getting fed than they are in reaching this dark world and making a difference. I'll try to feed you as best I can. The reality is after dinner, we've got work to do. We've got work to do because there are broken people because this is a hurting world and we need to grab a hold of the call and reach the people that Jesus loves. Eternal life is available to everyone. The price has been paid. All that's left is receiving it. I want to talk about a paradigm shift that I heard Andy Stanley talk about. It's how Jesus came and changed the way people see. Now, I'm going to set this up by asking you this question. Who do you have zero respect for? Individuals, types of people, groups of people. Who do you just have no time for? Who, what types of people might you just be disgusted by? This is a messy political time. You may have some feelings in your heart about various groups. This is a time in life where with social media, there can be all this yucky stuff flying around all over the place. Who really do you have no respect for in this world? In Jesus' day, There were different groups, different types of people that the society had zero respect for. They just had no time for them. One of those groups was lepers. Lepers had an infectious skin disease that was terrible. And the way that the society dealt with it was to banish them. And if you had leprosy, you had to yell unclean as soon as you got within earshot of another human being. And then they would know to stay away from you so that they would not become infected. And you had to hope somebody would leave food out for you. If you had a family and you contracted leprosy, you had to leave your family. You had to go out into the wilderness. Maybe you'd find some other people in the same situation, but you had to live with them until you died. Jesus came across one of these people in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. This is a person who's rejected by that society. This is a person who should not come into contact with other people. Someone who is disgusting to everyone else. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man had hope in Christ. He broke the rules. He didn't yell unclean. He snuck up on him because if he hadn't, everybody just scattered. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
I know you can do it. Where's your heart? Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. This was also against the rules because this is an infectious disease. But let me tell you something about our Messiah, about the Christ, about our Lord. His holiness will not be tainted by our unworthiness. When we come into relationship with him, we don't infect him, but he pushes darkness out of us. And he reached out and touched the leper, showing that he was not disgusted by this man, that he was not rejecting this man, but he had compassion and love for him, and he set him free. Another group of people that were hated in that day was tax collectors. Tax collectors were basically business cheats. They would rip you off. Apparently, they didn't get paid very much. They were sort of like soldiers. Soldiers didn't get paid very much. They would extort money. Tax collectors, from what I understand in the day, were worse than that. And so they would, they would lie to people, and they would take more than what they were supposed to take in taxes. And if people didn't go along with it, very corrupt. They'd have them thrown in prison, different things like that. It was a corrupt system, and the tax collectors were hated. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So this is written by Matthew, and it is that Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, so he could have written, he saw me sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth when Jesus called him. He was actively participating in tax collecting at the moment that Jesus called him. It wasn't after hours. It wasn't that Matthew was like, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but it was in the middle of it. Come on, he says to Matthew. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. So now Jesus goes to dinner with Matthew. The hated Matthew. And back then, eating with someone was very significant. It had a message. If I eat with you, I accept you. I'm I'm on your team if we eat together. If we're not on the same team, I refuse to eat with you. It was a message. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So the wrong crowd was there. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I thought he was a holy man. I thought he was a man of God and he's eating with these rotten people. Verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus wants our hearts, not behaviors, just religious rituals. 
He wants our hearts to be hearts of mercy, to care about people like he cares about. And he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me ask you this question. How many righteous people are there out there? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's only Christ himself. So this is self-righteous. He hasn't come to call the self-righteous because they, of course, will refuse him. But those who know the need will receive. So Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the leper. A hated group in the day, a disgusting group in the day. He calls a tax collector from the tax collector's booth and then goes, eats with him and all his friends who are all these bad people. And he's proclaiming, these are the ones I'm here for. These are the ones I accept. These are the ones I love. These are the ones I'm bringing in. Jesus did not reject the sinner. He was not disgusted by the leper. He befriended and helped them. And of course, of course, who are you and I other than cleansed sinners and lepers ourselves? Amen? So when we see the people that we don't like, we're looking at the leper of Jesus' day. We're looking at the sinner of Jesus' day. And we must recognize that Jesus' heart breaks for them. We must reach out with the love of God. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. One of the problems that I see in this world is there's people that hate their life. There's people that hate themselves. There's people that hate others. And this isn't a worldly problem. It's a Christian problem. People come to church and they hate themselves. They come to church, they hate their lives. They come to church, they hate other people. Here's what Jesus says to the person who hates themselves. Jesus says, don't hate yourself. I love you. The response is to love Jesus back and then to see yourself in the right way. If you hate yourself, you're deceived. You are not someone to be hated. See yourself in the right light. Because if you don't see yourself in the right light, it's hard to take the next step. It's difficult to let go of hate. It's difficult to forgive. It's difficult to have compassion when you have a false self-concept. When you see yourself as not good enough, when you are covered with shame, when you haven't fully believed Jesus, when he says, I love you. then it's hard to get your heart right with yourself and with your creator. And it's very easy to hate others. So once you are forgiven and you are loved, 
then you can become secure enough in who you are in Christ to offer forgiveness and love to others. Jesus says, don't hate yourself. I love you. And Jesus says, don't hate them. I love them. Don't hate them. I love them. And when that clicks in our heart, then we understand what it means to share our faith with someone. We see someone who has hurt us and we can forgive them. And that is a picture of what Christ has done on the cross and it will confuse them. And they may ask us, how can you at at some point, (laughs) how can you forgive me? And then you can give them an answer. But we must become secure in ourselves first so that we can reach out with the love of God while standing on a firm foundation. When we share our faith with other people, it should be just that, our faith. Share what God has done for you. Then, of course, the question is, what has God done for you? If you have humbled yourself to be forgiven, you know something God has done for you. If you have allowed your heart to be knit back together, you know what Jesus has done for you. There are people that think, well, what has God done for me? If that's you, today's the day to change that. Today's the day to open yourself up to the love of God, to the power of God, to walking with God and seeing miracles happen. To where when somebody's going through something we've been through, they say, how did you get through it? You have something to say. Here's what God did for me. And that's where the power comes from. Let's pray together and ask God to do things in our lives, in our hearts, in our mentality, so that we have something to share with others when they're going through the same things. And then after that, I'll invite people up for personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, it doesn't matter what the need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus? Come get prayer. You need a miracle? Come get prayer. You need a relationship restored? Come get prayer. But first, let's ask God to move in our lives. Heavenly Father, we know it's important as believers in you to share your gospel, to share your truth. Father, to give testimony to what you've done. Lord, thank you for what you've done in our lives, each one individually. Lord, help us to remember and be thankful of the miracles you've done, of the the forgiveness you've shared with us, the cleansing power you've, you've given us, the things you've brought us through. But Lord, for those who are thinking, I wish I had something to say right now. Father, I pray your hand of power would fall upon that life, upon that heart, and that, that you would do mighty things that there would be great testimonies to share, that there would be powerful stories to be told. And that when the moment is right and someone says, I don't think I can get through this, that that person can say, I know you can because God brought me through and he'll do that for you. Lord, let us walk with you 
and know your power so that we can share what you can do. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Let your love be upon us. Lord, your joy within us and your power work through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.